Father, hey, we'll be running the children's program and enable the workers to be in the auditorium. We appreciate that. It's good to have Brother Smith with us, and I know that you're thrilled that he's here. Brother Smith, come on, preach for us. We're delighted. Absolutely delighted. Thank you. Take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 18. So good to be back. So good to see each of you here. And I appreciate so much the patience of your pastor and each one of you. We just closed a meeting this morning up in, uh, this afternoon up in uh, Jersey Shore, Pennsylvania. Is there anybody here that knows where Jersey Shore, Pennsylvania is? Oh, pastor does. Anybody besides pastor? How many of you, if you think of Jersey Shore, where would you think that that's going to be? Yeah, uh, I, when I first heard of Jersey Shore, I said, this has to be over by, you know, Atlantic City or somewhere over by the ocean. I'm probably going to be about maybe 35 minutes from the ocean. This is so exciting. And I was thinking about getting a ticket uh, when I first preached there about a year and a half ago to, uh, to Philadelphia or maybe Newark. It's smack dab in the middle of the state. I mean, there's what? Why would it be called shore? The only shore is by a river. And I think it was called Jersey Shore because some people from New Jersey came over and they didn't like whatever it was called. So they called it Jersey Shore. So anyway, that's where we closed the meeting this afternoon. And we're glad to be back down here in Alexandria, Virginia, and thankful to the Lord for his good work. This church this morning celebrated 180 years. And that's a great blessing. It was started 180 years by some German Baptist, and it was started uh, it was started out of a revival meeting. They had 18 or so converts, and they cut a hole in the ice to baptize them. Wow! So I tell you, you just you know German. German blood is good and staunch, and Baptists are about as bullheaded as they get. So you're not going to let a little ice keep us from having a baptism. That's a blessing. So it's been going for 180 years, and they're going strong for God, and what an encouragement. So some people say revival doesn't last. Well, Billy Sunday said it neither does a bath, but it doesn't hurt to take one every once in a while. And uh, I would say that that revival has lasted 180 years of still preaching the gospel. Some of the same families that were there then are there now. I mean, same family name, same family name. But uh, yeah, quite amazing. I don't think the Germans are that determined. But anyway, Matthew chapter 18. So glad you're here. Excited about this week. Excited about what the Lord's going to do this week. Glad to have Drew and Caitlin Hay along. And so thankful for what uh, God has already done. In this passage of Scripture, we're going to look at something very powerful. I think it'll be tremendous. Transformational. We're looking at four cells, four prison cells. And so I want to preach to you tonight on the story of four cells. Father, speak to our hearts, change our lives as a result of our time in your word. Thank you for the truth of this passage. And Lord, thank you for these people gathered on a Sunday night faithfully here to worship you and to hear your word. Now help me as I preach to preach powerfully for your glory and for your honor in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. Amen. We're looking at four prison cells tonight, but I want to particularly note the prisoner in the third cell. The prisoner in the third cell. That's what I'd like to preach to you about. And as we read the scripture, I want us to just unpack what the Bible says. Look at Matthew chapter 18. We'll begin reading in verse number 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. Till seven times. Now, I would imagine that when Peter said this, maybe, maybe not, maybe not. But I would imagine I have to use my sanctified imagination that uh, that Peter, as he was asking the question, was hearing choir music in the background. And maybe as he was asking the question, he was just imagining a halo emerging from the back of his head. How many times should my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? I mean, he probably was keyed in on the number of perfection and he probably used this word seven or this number seven on purpose just to maybe impress those that were listening. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe he was sincerely trying to know uh, what are my limits here? How, how many times should I forgive? And he said till seven times. And Jesus dropped the bomb on him. Verse number 22, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Now, with my sanctified imagination at this point, I think the halo disappears. I think the choir music stops and I can see Peter doing like this right here. 
Maybe he's counting his fingers and his toes. He probably had open-toed sandals. And uh, he's trying to figure this out. Seventy times. Seventy times. What? Well, that wasn't what I was expecting. And then Jesus launches into a story that is, that is immortal in the subject matter that we're going to discuss. This matter of forgiveness. Look at verse 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant, therefore, fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant, then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Notice what the scripture says. It says he loosed him and forgave him the debt. Verse 28. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. Mm. And he 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 put his laid his hands on him. He laid his hands on him. And the scripture says when he laid his hands on him, he he put his hands around his throat, took him by the throat, saying, pay me that thou owest. Wow. Verse twenty nine, his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. My, this is a powerful passage of Scripture. In it, I see two incredibly different debts. Two similar penalties. Two very similar debtors. Two identical pleas. Two totally different responses. And four prison cells. But let's just, for sake of time, look at the four prison cells. And let's examine what is happening in this passage. I want to note particular, particularly the prisoner in the third cell. The prisoner in the third cell. Let's look at what the Bible says. Now, in this passage, he says that the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. So there's an accounting that's taking place. And when he begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed ten Thousand talents. Now, I've been doing some figuring lately to figure out how much 10,000 talents is and to figure out how much 100 pence is. It's quite remarkable. Now, 100 pence, one, uh, 100 pence is a value that is just a fraction compared to 10,000 talents. Here's just a 100 pence. Uh, one gram of silver is about 82 cents. And one pence is worth uh, about Four grams of silver. So that's a day's wage. One gram or one pence was a day's wage. Sometimes these are referred to as denarii or a denarius. And so you have one pence is one day's wage and it's it's worth four grams of silver. So about three dollars and twenty eight cents. That's how much one day's wage would be for an average working man, for uh, a soldier, a common soldier. You have just $3.28. Do you know how much one talent is of gold? About 83 pounds of gold. That means one talent, not 10,000, one talent would be worth about 6,000 denarii or 6,000 pence. You, you that are math. Uh, math folks, you can really figure this out and you probably haven't already figured out. It takes me a while. I'm kind of like Peter. I'm counting on my toes right now. That means it would take about 16 to 19 years of labor 
to just pay one talent. And this man, at the beginning of the story, is forgiven 10,000 talents. Now, it begs the question, some have asked, how could he have come up and accrued such a debt? That's a good question. Uh, it couldn't be just gambling. Maybe it was gambling, but it couldn't have been just gambling. It's likely that a man like this would have accrued a debt by working completely contrary to the king. Maybe in some kind of sub, uh, some kind of a, a subterfuge or some kind of espionage or some kind of counterintelligence, some kind of treasonous act. He's got a huge debt that he owes. And I want you to notice something about the first cell. The first cell that we're examining tonight was empty and should have been full. You say, where do you get that? Well, look at what it says, verse number 24. When he had begun to reckon, that is the king, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. They were sold so they'd have to work this debt off. They weren't sold so they could go work and make their own money so they could accrue their own uh, uh, income. They were working so they could just pay this off. They have a huge debt that they have to pay off. Massive debt. And the scripture says in verse number 26, the servant therefore fell down and worshiped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. I think he had a good motive when he said this. But how is he going to pay off 10,000 talents? 10,000 talents. Do you know how much 10,000 talents is? This is with the days. Uh, this is current prices of gold. Uh, this is. 730,000 pounds of gold. Which would be right now about 1,477,520,000. Massive debt. There's no way he's going to be able to pay this if he has a thousand lifetimes and a thousand kids. But his wife is going to be sold and he's going to be sold. And his kids, however many they were, they were going to be sold and they were going to pay the debt. Please have mercy on me and I will pay the all. He couldn't see anything. There would be no light at the end of this tunnel. In fact, he'd have to work about 160,000 years. He'd have to work 160,000 to 190,000 years just to pay off this debt. At the average man's working salary of $3.82 a day. <sighs> How's he going to do it? How's he going to pay it off? Please have mercy with me and I will pay the all. Verse number 27. There has to be something bigger than this to enter. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants. So I want you to see that the first cell tonight was empty and should have been full. He did not get cast into prison. He was set free. You can imagine no matter what they had for supper that night, it tasted good. You can imagine no matter how many lumps in their pillows, it sure felt good to sleep on their own pillow that night. You can imagine as they got up the next morning and were kind of wakened to the reality of their situation that, 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 that the sun shone brighter and the sky seemed bluer and the birds seemed to see, to sound a little sweeter. They were just forgiven of a massive debt far greater than they could possibly pay. And the scripture tells us here in this passage in Matthew chapter eight, 18, that there is a first cell that was empty and should have been filled, should have been filled with this man. There should have been some other cells that should have been filled with his wife and his kids. The first cell was empty and should have been full. But I want you to notice the second cell, verse number 28. But the same servant. Wow. It's that the Lord's giving us a real, real description. The same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants. That means he sought him. That means he looked for him after he'd been forgiven. Right after he'd been forgiven. This massive debt. $1.4 billion. He went out and found one of his fellow servants. 
Just couldn't seem to get it out of his craw. Just couldn't seem to get it off his mind. Maybe before he was about to be cast into prison, he had this grudge that he had against him. I'm going to get that guy to pay up. He owes me for a four-wheeler. He owes me for some debt that I... He owes me for some job that I did for him. He still hasn't paid. You know, it's interesting to see how many people don't pay their debts these days. And by the way, if you don't pay your debts, you're lower than a snake's belly. And you should be ashamed of yourself. And you should get right with God. Uh, the Bible says that a, a, a man swear, a good man swears to his own hurt and changeth not. And uh, you should pay your debts. You should pay your debts no matter whether you think it was fair or just or whether the job was done all the way that you think it should have been done or not. You need to pay those debts that are owed you and that you owe to someone. My, my brothers and my dad and I were sitting around talking. My one brother is a painter. My other brother is a wood refinisher. My dad, he has been a preacher and a teacher and a painter all of his life. My grandpa, my, my, his grandpa went and painted in the day when you wore a tie to the paint job and your bib overalls and he would mix the paint right there to match the drapes or whatever the lady wanted to match in that house he'd mix it right there in the house it was in the day so we come from a long line of painters and so my dad and brothers were talking they were talking about how different ones sometimes didn't pay their debts And it's hard. It's hard for us to fathom. It's hard for us to get our mind around the fact that some people wouldn't pay their debts and uh, and how crooked it is and how rotten it is and how what what a terrible thing. And my brother Dan told me about a friend of his that that uh, had a a couple brothers working for him. And uh, these brothers had gotten out of prison and now they're working for him so they can make ends meet. And uh, they get done with the job and they're about to go and, and collect. And they, the guy goes and this friend of my brother's, he goes and stands at the door. And he says, so he said, we've gotten the job done now and we got everything painted. And you can go look at the West Wall if you want. And, and uh, he said, OK. And he said, and he said, we, we, we just have a few more tools to gather together and throw in the back of the truck and we'll be out of your way and out of your hair. And he said, OK, OK. And the guy was dropping hints. You know, we're done. We're ready for the paycheck, if you know what I mean. And, uh, and he said. So really, all we need now is is uh, just for you to pay pay for it. And the man said, "Well, I'm not paying." He said, "You're not paying right now." You mean you're not paying right now? He said, "No, I'm not paying." He said, "Well, you mean you're not you're not paying for the labor? You're just paying for the materials?" No, he said, "I'm not paying for anything." He said, "Well, well, you can't do that." One of his brothers that has had a felony on his record, he got this wild look in his eyes. And he said, time to get a lien. And the man smugly said, well, you can get whatever lien you want and go to whatever lawyer we don't want. He said, I'm not paying. He said, I'm not talking about that kind of lien. He said, I'm talking about gasoline. He said, the man went and got his paycheck and wrote the check and handed it to him, got those guys out of there. <laughs> Maybe that'll work sometime for those of you that are painters. But anyway, uh, I don't, Brother Nelson, I don't know. You never know. So maybe this guy owed a debt or this guy had a debt due him before he was forgiven. Maybe he'd been stewing for months and for weeks and for maybe for a long time. That guy just couldn't, he couldn't get it off of his mind. You'd think after having been forgiven $1.4 billion or 10,000 talents that it would have been, it would have been, uh, Oh, you know what? I'll just let it go. It wasn't. He went out and found him. He went out searching for him. Maybe that was on his to-do list before he went and was brought before the king. Maybe he'd been looking for him for a few weeks. So I'm going to find him. I'm going to finish this job. And he grabs him. Look at verse number 28. By the throat. Laid hands on him and took him by the throat. I don't know if that means he grabbed his, his shirt right up by his throat or he put his hands around his throat, but he gets him off to the corner and says, pay up a hundred pence, a hundred days working, not even a full year's salary, a hundred days less than the value of the box of ointment that Mary broke and poured on Jesus head and feet less than that. Just a little more than what Judas Sold Jesus for a hundred pence, a hundred days wage. Wow. 
Verse number 29, and his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. He's saying the same thing that this guy just said to his Lord and was just forgiven. And he says the same thing two t- identical pleas. But look at what verse number 30 says. And he would not. And he would not. Now, that's the crux of the issue. Will you forgive? He would not. But will you? He would not forgive. Will you? Now, forgiveness isn't easy. Sometimes it's messy. Sometimes it's difficult to hash through it. Sometimes it takes time for us to think and get our minds around. But we just need to obey and forgive. I want to say forgiveness is not the same as trust. Sometimes people equate forgiveness with trust. They're not the same. In fact, in certain circumstances, you'd be foolish to trust again. But trust isn't commanded here. Forgiveness is commanded. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians 4.32, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. How did God for Christ's sake forgive you? Number one, He forgave us in spite of the circumstances. He had been betrayed by Peter. He had been, he had been betrayed by Judas. He had been denied by Peter. He had been be- forsaken by the rest of the disciples. The crowd that once, just a few days earlier, had broken the palm branches off and praised and sang Hosanna to the king, now had been stirred up by the Pharisees to cry, crucify him. He had been falsely accused by the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers and the Sadducees and the religious crowd. He had been, he had been handed over and traded in for Barabbas by, by Pilate and by the mob. And yet he forgave in spite of the circumstances. He'd been beaten to a bloody pulp from his neck down to his knees with a cat of nine tails. There was no reason. The Bible says he was more he was marred. His visage was marred more than any other man. Can you think of it? Jesus went through. He went through great agony before he even got to the cross. They beat him with their fists. They beat him with their open palms. They beat him with a rod. They crushed the, the, the crown of thorns down upon his head. They plucked the beard from his face. They spit in his face. The scripture says he was marred more than any man. And yet he forgave in spite of the circumstances. He was taken to the cross. He laid down. They spiked his hands and his feet. And the Romans knew how to prolong an execution and a crucifixion to make it the worst possible agony for the victim. All of this is going on, and yet he forgave in spite of the circumstances. He knew that many would not be loyal to him. He knew that he wouldn't receive a proper burial. He knew worse, worse than all that he would in moments bear the sin of the whole world upon his shoulders. And yet he forgave in spite of the circumstance. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He forgave in light. Uh, uh, he forgave in spite of the circumstances. He forgave in light of the consequences. Aren't you glad that he offered forgiveness? Aren't you thankful that now we can avoid hell and judgment can be averted? Aren't you thankful that we can live not only a life looking forward to heaven, but an abundant life between here and there? Aren't you thankful that he forgave in spite of the circumstances and in light of the consequences? All the world would have been lost and plunging to a devil's hell. We would have been all of all men most miserable. I would have probably grown up in a drunkard's home. My grandpa uh, was one of four brothers. And and he though he was a moral man, he wasn't saved till he was 45. But he would have likely followed in his dad's footsteps and in his brother's influence. And he would have been a drunken. My dad would have been a drunken. You probably would have never heard of any kind of uh, Dwight Smith. And maybe the family tree would have been totally disfigured because of alcohol and booze. I'm sure thankful that Jesus forgave in spite of the circumstances and in light of the consequences. He forgave in sight of the crown. 
The Bible says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down on the right hand of the father. I'm so thankful he forgave in sight of the crown because someday we're going to be able to crown him. People from every kindred and tongue and tribe and nation come and lay down our feet and sing, thou art worthy, O Lord, for by thy blood thou hast redeemed us. I'm sure thankful that he forgave in light of the consequences, in spite of the circumstances and in sight of the crown. You can do the same. In fact, the Bible says to it says, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye notice again the phrase in verse number 20 or verse 30. And he would not. He would not. But will you? He would not. And there's a litany of trouble he's about to face. But will you? He would not. But but the Bible says was went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So you see, watch, the first cell was empty and should have been full. The second cell was full, but it should have been empty. Hmm. I want you to notice what the Bible says in verse 33. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry. Do you know when you and I don't forgive, it causes the common people around us to be grieved in our soul. When we won't forgive, it causes it causes the whole engine, the forward, the forward moving motion to grind to a halt. It causes our family to be discouraged. It causes uh, it causes our our friends to be discouraged. Unforgiveness isn't a virtue. It's not something that lifts society. In fact, John R. I. said unforgiveness is hatred in concentrate. And it's true. When I will not forgive again, I understand that forgiveness is sometimes difficult and sometimes it's messy. And sometimes I don't know all the details of how forgiveness should look. But but I do know this. I know what forgiveness doesn't look like. Our world is filled with examples of that. And if there's any place and any group of people that know how to forgive and that are good forgivers, that it ought to be God's people. Do you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Sometimes you just have to forgive because because people are living in ignorance. They don't even know what they're doing. They have no idea what they've done. And Lord, because they don't know, I'm just going to forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And that's that's not unlike the Lord Jesus. In fact, it's very much like the Lord Jesus. Sometimes people know what they're doing and you still are to offer forgiveness. That's not easy. But what a stark contrast it is in comparison to all that goes on. I remember when the South Carolina shooter went into the church a few years ago. In fact, he was caught. He fled South Carolina. He was caught literally about a mile or so from my house, maybe even less than that. And that's where my wife was driving into town and he was driving out and she passed him in the intersection. There's helicopters everywhere, police cars everywhere. And they stopped him right there. I'm kind of proud of the Shelby Police Department for catching him and nabbing him right there. But I remember when he was tried, some of those church members, he had come and sat in church. He had come and sat and worshiped with them. He had come and talked to some of them. They had been friendly to him. And boy, with tears, some of those church folks they said, we, we, we're not sure how we can do this, but we forgive you. How that stood in stark contrast to the anger and hatred and murderous intent and vitriol that our world wants to promote. Wow. You're never more like the Lord Jesus than when you forgive. And then you're never, never less like the Lord Jesus when you won't forgive. Watch, this first cell was empty and should have been full. The second cell was full and should have been empty. And so when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told him to their Lord all that was done. Notice verse 32. Then his Lord, after that, he had called and said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. You know what God thinks of our unforgiveness? He thinks it's wicked. It's not okay. And we think we have our list of sins that are wicked. But God, on his list of sins that are wicked that he would describe in that term directly, is unforgiveness. Oh, thou wicked servant. When we've been forgiven of such a debt, $1.4 billion? $1,477,520,000 to be exact? 10,000 talents? How wicked it is not to forgive someone for $328.
How wicked to forgive someone, not forgive someone of a hundred pence of a debt. Oh, thou wicked servant. He said, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. You know what he's noting? He's not only noting that it's wicked. The, the Lord of this servant is noting that it doesn't make any sense. He's saying, he's saying it's certainly contrasted. He said, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. He's noting that it's almost like his forgiveness of this servant was a waste. Don't waste your salvation. Don't waste the great forgiveness that God has given you. Don't flush it down the toilet because you just feel someone owes you something. And that's the essence of forgiveness. Your sense of justice has been violated. And maybe it has. I'm not here to say it has or hasn't. I don't even know what situation you're dealing with in your heart and mind. Sometimes our sense of justice is truly violated. Sometimes we won't forgive and it's based completely on just a perception, a perceived wrong. And it's not even true. But sometimes we won't forgive because there has definitely been a violation of our trust, a violation of our dignity, a violation of what is just. And yet you've been forgiven. How, how just is that? Well, the Bible says that it is just. Forgiveness is just. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It's a mark of God's justice. It's a mark of His faithfulness. He has it within His power and His ability and His desire to forgive. And if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins. But it doesn't seem fair that this man would be forgiven one point four billion dollars, ten thousand talents, and he can't forgive three hundred and twenty eight dollars. Notice what the scripture says in verse number thirty three. He says, shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? Don't you think that's the right thing? Don't waste your salvation. Don't waste this forgiveness. The Bible, the, the Bible says he was forgiven 10,000 talents. Someone said he owed a debt he did not. He, he, we, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, the whole day long. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. If I had a thousand lifetimes, I could never pay it. Try to work your way to heaven, sinner friend. Try to earn your, your salvation, Mr. Religion. Try to pave the way to heaven with ritual and your own self-righteousness. You're going to have to have 160,000 to 190,000 lifetimes. And even if you did do good in all those lifetimes, which you couldn't, you can't even do good according to God's standards. And I can't even do good in one lifetime. Even if you do good, did good, you still wouldn't pay the debt. You only have one lifetime. And Jesus paid the debt in, in completion. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, you need to accept His gift of eternal life. That's what is, is your responsibility. You, you can forgive until the cows come home, but if you've never accepted Christ's forgiveness, when you die, you'll split hell wide open. And you need to come to Jesus and accept His forgiveness. What a slap and insult it in the face it is when Jesus wants to, wants to strike a pardon on your debt that you owe $1.4 billion or 10,000 talents and you said, well, Lord, I'm just going to try to work, my, work that off. We don't believe in a salvation. The Bible doesn't teach a salvation that's a credit salvation, pay after the fact, or a debit salvation, pay ahead of time, or an IOU salvation, pay as you go. It is a paid in full salvation that was paid for on the cross of Calvary. And all you must do is receive it by repenting and believing, by accepting God's gift of eternal life. Wow. So I want you to see this second cell was full, but should have been empty. And now this Lord is so upset. He says, shouldest not thou also? He's reasoning with him. He's calling his sin wicked. He's, he's noting that he, he wasted this forgiveness that he had just received. He's reasoning with him and saying, shouldest, shouldest thou, not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was raw. That means that our unforgiveness makes God upset. Not only does it discourage those around us, but it makes God upset. He says, in his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors. What does that mean? Is there any great theologian here that knows what that means? I'd sure like to know if you could come give me some insight. Pastor, Ray, the Corey, somebody, some great mind, some Bible thinker. I'd like to know what that means. 
He delivered him unto the tormentors. What does that mean? Well, we don't believe the Bible teaches that you go, you lose your salvation if you won't forgive. The Bible doesn't teach that. No, the Bible says we're kept by the power of God. The Bible says that we're in the hand of the Lord Jesus and in the hand of the Father. We have eternal life. Eternal life can never be lost. You can lose your car keys. You can lose your cell phone. You can lose your ever-loving mind, but you can't lose your salvation. So we don't believe when it says he's delivered to the tormentors that he's, that he's losing his salvation. What, what does that mean? Maybe it means some kind of physical stress and duress. Now, let me just pause and put a parenthesis and say not all physical problems are the result of unforgiveness. I don't believe that. Certainly the Bible doesn't teach that. But unforgiveness brings and creates its own kind of stress. And Pastor and I could tell you story after story after story of my about 27 years as an evangelist and his 60. Are you 60 years as a pastor now? I, I always forget. Anyway, I, 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 we could keep you here for a long time tonight. I have to say that because I know he's been sharing stories with Brother Drew today. I just know it. I have this sense in my in my heart that he's been sharing stories about me. But anyway, uh, 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 we could keep you here for hours tonight telling you stories of individuals who have created their own physical stress and physical problems because of their refusal to forgive. Look back at the text. Look at what it says in verse number 30. And he would not. Watch me. This is the subject of forgiveness tonight. But choose any subject in the Bible. Choose any command in the Bible. When you do what he did with the truth of forgiveness, and he would not, he had the opportunity for, to forgive in the first place and forget about it. It's $328. He had the opportunity to just forget about it. No, he went out and found the man, grabbed him by the throat, put his hands around his throat and said, pay up. And when the man begged for forgiveness, the same thing that he said just moments earlier, he would not. When you have the opportunity to, to obey a Bible truth and you would not, you tell me how that works out for you. You, you tell me how that ends up. Some of you might might not be struggling with unforgiveness tonight, but you're struggling with lust and you've been preached 15 different ways. You've been helped. You've been counseled. You've been given books. You've been given personal accountability partners. At some point, all that stuff fades away and you have to face this thing with plain on responsibility and obedience. Some of you, it might be loving your wife. You've treated her like the dirt on this floor and you've mistreated her and you talk mean to her and mean about her and, and, and you demean, demean, you demean her and you, you, you run her down. At some point, you've got to choose, are you going to obey the Bible about this or not? Maybe with you, it's respecting your husband and you know that you ought to and you know that's what the Bible teaches, but you just can't because, you know, he leaves his whiskers in the sink and he leaves a mess here and he leaves a mess there and you're just not going to do it. And if he were respectable, then you'd respect him. But even though the Bible says you ought to respect him like Sarah did her husband, calling him Lord. And you know, I don't care. I'm not, I'm faced with the Bible truth, but I will not. You, you tell me how that works. How's that working out for you? I can tell you for a fact it's not. All right, so because he would not, now he's being delivered to the tormentors. What does that mean? Maybe it's, it's a certain kind of stress and it causes physical problems because of that particular vein. Uh, maybe it's, maybe it's a portal to demonic influence or demonic frustration or oppression. I don't believe like the crazy preacher in the middle of Tennessee that Christians can be possessed with demons, uh, but I do believe that Christians can be oppressed. I do believe that Christians can be discouraged. I believe that Christians can be depressed by demonic activity. Maybe that's what the tormentors mean. He delivered him unto the tormentors. Maybe the tormentors means loss at every twist and turn. One step forward, two steps back. One step forward, two steps back. The Bible speaks about that. It speaks about the devourer in Malachi when you won't obey the Lord in the area of tithes and offerings and the, the devourer is going to come in. Maybe it's something akin to that. Could we all agree that whatever it is, we don't want it? I mean, is that fair? <laughs> I don't want to be delivered to the tormentors. I'm not sure exactly what these passages mean. There's other passages that I look at and I scratch my head and say, hmm, I'm a little concerned about that. I don't know what that means, but whatever it means, I don't want it. I don't want to be delivered unto the tormentors, so I'm going to choose to forgive. 
he's delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was doing to him. What? That $1.4 billion debt? Now, again, we don't believe a Christian can lose their salvation. But let me ask you, who are the four most miserable people that you know? I name the four most miserable people that I know. Are you ready? A person that is not saved, and they know they need to be saved, and they know how to be saved, and they will not be saved. Miserable. Miserable to be around. That's called conviction. The Holy Spirit's convincing them of their need for righteousness. Their Holy Spirit is convicting, the Holy Spirit is convicting them of their eternal judgment. The Holy Spirit is convincing them that they're lost and their need, they need Christ's righteousness and judgment to come and that the prince of this world is judged and the Holy Spirit's convicting them about all of that. And they're fighting, fighting, fighting. Miserable, miserable person to be around. By the way, sometimes when you're witnessing, you come face to face with them. And they get mad at you. Now listen carefully. Don't purposely make someone mad when you're witnessing. Just because you're trying to make them mad or you want to win an argument. But if in giving the gospel and gently and carefully and boldly sharing the message of salvation, they get mad, don't be upset. Don't be upset about that. You know why? Anger is a good emotion. You know why anger is a good emotion? You never forget it. In fact, I would venture a guess that some of you out here tonight have had certain points in your life when you have been faced and confronted with a decision and you grew at that moment because someone was willing to confront you and make you mad. They weren't trying to make you mad, but they weren't going to give up on the position of the truth. And that was a real growth point. So anger is a good emotion. Mm. The person that is not saved knows they need to be saved, knows how to be saved, but won't be saved. That's a miserable person. Another miserable person is a Christian that's not right with God. They just, they're, they're not right with God. They're not going to live for the Lord. They, 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 they've been preached to 50 different ways and they've got their, if nothing else, if at least inwardly, they've got their arms folded and they are set, their jaw is locked and they are not going to get right with God. Might be somebody here like that tonight. And you're miserable. You're saved on your way to heaven, but you're not living the abundant life. And you toss and turn and you squirm in bed at night. Can't get a good night. Wake up with a dream. Get upset and try to make some coffee. Go back to bed. I don't care if you have a sleep number bed. And I don't care if you have the my pillow guy pillow. If you're not right with God, you're not going to get any rest. Miserable bags under your eyes. Put all the makeup on you want, ladies. But if you're not right with God, he's not going to cover it. He's just going to be miserable. A miserable person is somebody that's not saved and they know they're not saved and they know how to be saved, but they won't get saved. A person that's not as miserable uh, that's miserable is somebody that's not right with God. They know they can live the abundant life. They know they should live in obedience, but they're not living in obedience. I said four. There's three. Here's the third most miserable person in the world. Somebody that's called to preach a preach a man called to preach and he's not doing the will of God. Why? I've seen him. I knew a man once that was a song leader in Indiana. And he looked good on the outside. He knew how to get his hands up and wave and get everybody leading. He knew how to articulate the song number. He knew how to say the song title. He knew how to lead singing. But he was a preacher, not right with God, not, not preaching. Making lots of money. Fistfuls of money. Miserable. You know what he ended up doing? Taking his own life. Making his family as miserable as they could be in the process. And when he took his own life, it was all... You know what he ended up doing? Taking his own life. Making his family as miserable as they could be in the process. And when he took his own life, it was almost like a vendetta against his family. What little he left them. He was a preacher called to preach, but he was not doing the will of God. That's a miserable person. And right here he has this having to pay all that was. You know what? I think some of those people, at least the last two, you know what they were caught up doing? Paying all that was doing to him. Well, at least the last two. You know what they were caught up doing? Paying all that was doing to him. Okay, if you won't forgive, this is what Jesus said. You're going to go to heaven when you die, but I'm going to make it feel like until you decide to get right with God, I'm going to make it feel like you still have that debt. <laughs> Getting bigger every day. Heavier. Every day. Wait, I thought that guy was a Christian. 
Yeah, I did too. Didn't he come forward in a church service? Yeah. Oh, didn't he pray and get saved? Yeah. Who was the one that led him to the Lord? Yeah. I mean, that, that was not phony. Yeah, I thought, well, look at the one. Because he would not. You see, the third cell, watch this. If it is empty, the fourth cell will be empty. If it is full, the fourth cell will be full. You say, what do you mean? That third cell is either filled or empty of the person that you won't forgive or will forgive. What are you going to do with that third cell? If you say, no, I'm locking the door. I'm tired of them. They did me wrong. I'm never going to forgive them. I'm locking them in. They're never going to hurt me or anybody else in the whole wide world ever again. Lock, 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 lock. Bolt, 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 bolt. Oh. And you know what? You turn around. Wait a second. I thought I was in a hallway a minute ago. Wait. These are walls. And they're thick. And they're cell windows and they got bars on them. And there's a door. And it's locked. You know why? Because you locked that person in the third cell. You know what happens when you come to the cross? And you look up at Jesus and realize with all of the way He was mistreated and all the way He was abused and all the price that He bore and paid and all the sin debt, all of my sin debt was laid upon Him. And yet He said, Father, forgive them. And He offered to me forgiveness. And you say, Lord, please forgive me for not being willing to forgive someone a $328 debt when I've been forgiven a $1.4 billion debt. Please forgive me. By the way, if you think $328, okay, I, I think I can do that. Can I do that? Yeah, I think I can do that. Remember what Peter said. How often should we forgive? Seven times? Let's see. $328 times seven Okay, that's okay. That's getting close to two thousand and something. And then Jesus said, "No, seventy times seven. Oh, four hundred and ninety times three hundred and twenty-eight. Oh, it's like hundred and sixty thousand. I don't know." You see, Jesus wouldn't say once you get to four hundred and ninety, that's it. That's it. No. He was saying it's an innumerable time amount. When you look at the cross and you see all that Jesus bore for you, is it that hard to forgive? When you realize He has canceled the $1.4 billion debt against you that would take 160 to 190,000 lifetimes, is it that hard to forgive? You see Jesus on the cross and you realize that He died and then He was buried and then He rose again conquering sin and death and hell. Oh, unlock the doors and turn back the deadbolts and unlock them. Let them go! And you know what happens? When you loose the person out of that third prison cell, you turn around and, wait, I thought there were walls and windows with bars and a door that was locked. But now I'm free? Uh-huh. You see, what you do with that prisoner in the third cell determines what kind of freedom you're going to enjoy. Now, doesn't it make sense just to forgive? I know it's hard. I know it's messy. I know sometimes it comes at you with waves, sometimes with emotions, sometimes with a scent or a smell or a sound or a song, and it hits you again in that face of yours, and you say, Unlock the bolts. Unlock the corridors. Let that person go free. If for no other reason, so the fourth cell can be empty. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I thank you so for your attention to the Word of God. I wonder... With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you said, Preacher, that third cell, 
that you were talking about tonight? Oh, God has reminded me of someone that I've locked up in that third cell. Maybe they don't even know it, but they're there in my mind. And I haven't been willing to loose them and let them go free. Would you pray for me that I'd loose them tonight and let them go free? If that's you, would you slip up your hand let me pray for you? Thank you. Good. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Good. God bless you. Anyone else? Just slip up your hand. Put it right back down. Please, this is not for embarrassment. I would never betray your confidence and point you out or call you by name. I really do want you to be free. That third cell being empty or full determines whether that fourth cell is empty or full. Anybody else? A preacher, pray for me. There's someone in that third cell that I need to loose and let go. God bless you, young lady. Anyone else? Yes. Praise the Lord. Yes, ma'am. Anyone else? Yes. Amen. Amen. I want to ask two more questions. How many would say tonight, preacher, I, I have been forgiven. And I didn't realize what a debt Jesus forgave me of. But when Jesus uses the phrase 10,000 talents, that brings it into perspective. And I want to raise my hand and testify that I have been forgiven. And I'm glad to say that I know that my sins are forgiven. If that's you, would you slip up your hand high? Yes, I know that my sins are forgiven. And that I'm saved. And I'm on my way to heaven when I die. Just slip it up and keep it up just for a moment. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Is there anybody here tonight that would say, Preacher, that debt is mine. That sin debt. I've never been forgiven of it. I've never come to Jesus and trusted in His payment. I've been paying as you go. Or at least I thought I was. Doing the debit or the credit thing. At least I thought I was. But tonight you said that's not possible. I need to be forgiven and trust in a paid in full salvation. Would you pray for me that I get that settled? Yes, I will. If that's you, would you slip up your hand right now? Is there anybody here like that? Preacher, pray for me. I need to be saved. Anyone? Anyone? Okay. All right. Thank you. Is there anyone else besides this one? Just slip up your hand and say, Preacher, I don't know that I'm saved, but I want to know and I need to know. Anyone else, just slip up your hand. Put it right back down. All right, if you just raised your hand, in a moment we're going to stand. I'm going to give everyone an opportunity when the pianist begins to play a few verses of have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. I want you to come. Take Pastor by the hand. Say, Pastor, I just need to be saved. I'm tired of of living with this $1.4 billion debt of sin, and I don't want it anymore. I want Jesus to forgive me. We'll have someone help you to Jesus. If you're a lady, we'll have a lady help you. If you're a man, we'll have a man. But I want to urge upon you, please, please don't leave if you're not saved, lost. Please don't leave not saved. Please don't leave lost tonight. Let's stand, shall we, with our heads bowed. Father, thank you for the good word. Thank you for this text. Thank you for the powerful truth of it. Lord, we've seen that the first cell was empty and it should have been full. And sadly, the second cell is full and should have been empty. Help us to empty that third cell so the fourth cell can be. We pray it in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. As she begins to play quietly through.